0: The idea that it's an American Empire and, and the British Empire disappeared after World War Two and they gave up they gave liberty to their colonies and now it's the American Empire who took up the baton. No, that was that's a giant narrative, a mythology that's it's always been a lie. The Iron Curtain was brought in under a speech by Churchill to uh sever the world under a new manichean bipolarism, which was really insane. And a lot of the, the Nazis were just incorporated into U.S.-British intelligence under Operation Gladio and other things that then became used to justify the growth of new domestic terror operations throughout the 1960s, weather underground, red brigades in Europe, other things, to just scare the hell out of the people and push them into increasingly captured nations after the dead bodies of people like, you know, John F. Kennedy, Enrico Mattei, Bobby, ousters of de Gaulle initiated or ensured that the re- the anti-Malthusian, resistance was not to be seen
1: you need to defend your civilization against the onslaught of this cancer of progressivism liberalism and globalist brainwashing this is a life or death situation no messing around the prescription is two doses of infowars taken daily all right welcome back folks Third hour has begun. This is the American Journal. I'm your host, Harrison Smith. My guest this hour is Matthew Arrett. He's a journalist and co-founder of the Rising Tide Foundation. He's the editor-in-chief of Canadian Patriot Review and senior fellow at American University of Moscow and BRI expert for tactical talk. Matthew has published scientific articles with 21st century science and technology Principa Scientifica and is a regular author on several political cultural websites including the Los Angeles Review of Books, China Channel, Strategic Culture, and Oriental Review. He's authored the book series The Untold History of Canada and recently published a book series called The Clash of the Two Americas which we will be discussing today. The website again is risingtidefoundation.net. Thank you so much for coming on, Matthew.
0: Hey, thank you very much for having me on.
1: I'm excited to have you on, especially since we had uh, such an enjoyable conversation with your wife, who is actually a contributor to the book, uh, The Clash of Two Americas. I know the, the audience uh, really enjoyed uh, her discussion as well. And so I guess you both have a, have a real passion for history, don't you?
0: Uh, yes, indeed. Absolutely. And that was a, a really great conversation to watch. You guys had a, had a really wonderful chemistry.
1: Well it's uh, it's easy because I think uh, you know we're both passionate about freedom and about history as are you and I really enjoyed uh, at least beginning to read your book called The Clash of Two Americas And you really have a fascinating take on this for people who've read a lot of American history or read a lot of history. This is something a little bit different. And you describe the way that you aren't focusing on individual sort of events as much as you are looking at the full flow of time over this this time period. Can you talk a little bit about how your book differentiates itself from from other historical uh, books of this type?
0: Yeah, most certainly, and and I mean I there there shouldn't be an irony lost on most listeners that I'm a Canadian uh, and so is my wife writing about American history. Um, this book itself uh, stemmed out of a series of research projects, which years ago had culminated in um, four volumes called the Untold History of Canada series. Um, a lot of Americans tend to take for granted what they have uh, when you live in a in a monarchical deep state structure like Canada. Um, as part of a broader international commonwealth, you start seeing that there are strange anomalies peppered throughout our history. Because, like, one question originally in my mind was, why is it that Canada is the only monarchy of the Americas? Right. All the way down to the tip of, of Argentina, there's—it's every country chose when they when they broke free of various forms of empire to become republics. Canada alone stands as the only uh, monarchical system. So how did that happen? Why was Benjamin Franklin, why did he fail, though Benjamin Franklin was up here uh, organizing for weeks to uh, to get Quebec, the, the original Canadian colony, to uh, to join in as the 14th colony, saying we will declare independence from the British Empire and at the same time institute a new form of government that had never been seen. So why did we fail to accept that challenge, you know? Um, there, there are many anomalies like that uh, that really drove— a, a research project, and so coming out of that, the idea that we had failed to um, become better than we could have been at moments of pregnant moments in in history, right. um, animated the idea. Well, what is the United States that we missed the opportunity? And, and obviously, the U.S has acted disastrously over its 250-year, very young life expectancy, or not life, <laughs> lifetime mm-hmm. uh, thus far. But it has also exhibited some of the most brilliant upshifts in human progress. Um, and if you look at the eight American presidents who died while in office, they're all invoking something very similar, all the way from you know, Harrison, who died in 1830. No, no, uh, no. No relation there, here. <laughs> uh, William Harrison, uh, who is murdered, uh, and I think all evidence points to the fact that he was murdered in 1840, um, all the way to to JFK and his brother Bobby. Um, No other country, especially countries so young, has faced that many of its leaders who died while in office who were all resisting the exact same uh, structures of international power. And so to answer your question, I did try to approach this from the standpoint of not a Canadian perspective alone or an American perspective, but a broader global chemistry. Um, first, because the chemistry of the whole periodic table defines the behavior of each of the elements within it. And so from that standpoint, philosophically, I tried to understand, well, what was the United States is something more than it was that people think it was and less than it was meant to be.
1: Right, I remember that from the book. Yeah, more than people think it was, but less than it was meant to be. I think that, that speaks uh, very directly to how a lot of us feel about America. Such a beautiful idea, such a powerful concept, and yet we have fallen short and uh, we're frustrated looking around for reasons as to why that was. And I do think you write in sort of a, I wouldn't say Canadian-centric, but the Canadian viewpoint on America. Uh, we tend to be maybe a little bit self-important here in America. In Canada, to us, is is a footnote at best. I'm just, I'm just being honest here. You know, we, we tend to think of what happened in 1776 as the ultimate thing, and that's all you have to carry about. But the whole time, there's been this little brother of Canada just, just north of us, right where everybody lived back then. Uh, that was... Doing things in a very different way, and I found that fascinating. And I also found fascinating uh, the inclusion of Russia and the the influence that Russia had over America and Canada uh, following the Revolutionary War all the way through the the Civil War. Can you talk a little bit uh, about again just the perspective of writing about America from the outside?
0: Um, yeah, I mean the the only thing that's meaningful um, in terms of Canadian history, much of which has been obscured from the official history books that we're given, are the different moments in time where we. Um, tr- we're, we're leading statesmen within Canada were able to organize to try to undo the error of 1776 when Ben Franklin left Montreal to go back uh, disheartened uh, to the, cost, uh, the, the convention um, where the declaration was signed. And, you know, we had moments like in 1837-38 where we had rebellions uh, to create a republic of Canada for the first time and independent Canada under Papineau and William Lyon Mackenzie. Um, in Upper Canada, um, who tried, but it was an underdeveloped idea. It wasn't ripened. So, you know, when you try to pluck the fruit before it's ripened, things go bad. Benjamin Franklin did not have that problem. He had a much longer-term perspective. He was working for 40-plus 40, 40 years to create a cultural climate that would allow for such a thing as the American Revolution to occur, which involved also his discoveries in science and his international organization. Because, I mean, he was able to organize high-level... Um, people across the Russian intelligentsia, the French, the Irish, the, uh, I mean, even Indian and Moroccan, as, right. as I get through in Chapter 1, um, the American Revolution would not have been possible were it not for the networks of Ben Franklin through, the, through his French contacts who had been recruited to his vision, his grand design, uh, by virtue of his discovery in electricity in, 18, in 17, 1751, 52, 53 which was just polarizing. He was seen as the Prometheus of America, you know, somebody mm-hmm. with a great three education who was able to trump the greatest minds, the arrogant greatest minds of Europe in discovering this phenomenon that had formerly been something that scared people. And so, you know, people like, uh, you know, Haider Ali and Tipu Sultan, uh, the Muslims who organized the resistance against the British in southern India in the Mysore rebellions in the 18- 1780s, were directly in correspondence with the Constitutional, uh, or the, the, the Continental Congress, saying that our fight is your fight, which absorbed 20% of the, the British naval fleet who wished originally to go to the United States to, to suppress the rebellion, but instead were redirected to fighting the, at, in Mysore. Uh, Tipu right. Sultan uh, wrote messages saying, saying this to the Congress. And as well, the U.S., the first uh, military ship was called the Hyder Ali, mm. uh, ushered in and inaugurated by George Washington. Um, Sidi Mohammed of Morocco defended American shipping against the French, Barber, uh, the, the North African Barbary pirates who were, you know, working for the British Empire, destroying American ships. So, you know, and also you, you had this whole network also in Prussia. You mentioned Russia was uh, the founder of the League of Armed Neutrality, which ensured arms and supplies to the U.S. Uh, rebels. Again, organized by ben, ben Franklin via Ekaterina Dashkova, the young. Um, president of the the Russian Academy of Sciences, who was made the first Russian member of Ben Franklin's Philosophical Society, and he in turn was made the first member of the Russian Academy of Sciences. So you have this international dynamic, and uh, all the way up until Lincoln's murder, which was run out of, by the way, Canada. Anybody trying to understand Lincoln's murder without looking at the Canadian dynamic and all of the the British-protected Confederacy operations within British Canada— uh, would not be able to answer that question because John Wills Booth was in Canada for five weeks, was given his payment, his money, his instructions to go down and carry out an act, which I don't even think he was ever punished for, even though the the story says differently. Right. Right. Um, Including JFK, too. You know, Montreal, Canada was a key role in that. So Canada plays a key role in understanding a lot of this history that if people try to approach from just an American-centric standpoint or just a Canadian-centric standpoint, they will not answer.
1: No, I think you're exactly right. And I'm very excited to get in uh, more with you to all of these topics, especially the, the Lincoln uh, assassination stuff, because I know you touched on that at the beginning of the book, but I haven't gotten to the meat of it yet. So we'll, t- we'll talk about that on the other side. And like I said, folks, even doesn't matter how many history books about America you've read, you probably have not read one like this. Is Matthew Errett the book, or you? The website is risingtidefoundation.net. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the American Journal. I'm your host Harrison Smith. My guest is Matthew Errett. His latest book series is called The Clash of Two Americas, which I highly recommend. As we've been saying, it's not it's it's from a Canadian perspective in a way, but it clearly is written with a, a deep understanding, comprehension, and love of the American system and of of history in general, you can find their website at risingtidefoundation.net. And, of course, if you enjoyed my interview with Cynthia Chung last week, she is a contributing author to uh, parts of this book, providing uh, entire chapters from her perspective. Now, when you say the clash of two Americas, you're not talking about Canada and America. You're not talking about North America and South America, are you? You're talking about the two spirits that are embodied in this one um, country is that is that fair to say
0: Yes and in, in, indeed I don't think that there's any crystallized country on deeper analysis when you look beyond the surface of things that exists as a as a finished product um you you have fifth columns in every country east and west alike the US being no exception and you know the 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 lexicon of deep state became something rather popularized after 2016 um, so I, I've, I found that very useful to help people understand that this is not something that emerged to stop Trump or that emerged under Obama um, or even that emerged under the wake of JFK's murder, which, you know, you can't understand what JFK's murder was unless you see it as a coup by this thing. But you have to go all the way back to 1774 even um, to appreciate the different traitors within the United States and how some of them remained behind uh, masquerading as American patriots after uh, 1776 and really 1783 when the peace of paris was finalized um other one other you know um loyalists became english speaking canada and were given a uh, safe sanctuary who didn't want to participate in the revolution and they they that's why we have english speakers in a, in canada it's not just french speakers um and you know so you have these various um aspects to the uh, fifth Columnist, the, the deep state operations that were always loyal to the British Empire, the idea of global governments, unipolar hegemony, of a system of elites that wished to impose in the time of Ben Franklin, the idea was Malthusianism was the the object of of combat. Could, it, could And Benjamin Franklin directly took on the Malthusian logic, even before Malthus, who plagiarized his ideas, the idea of the elites being destined to rule over the many slaves, as masters and usher in and control the people via the idea uh, you know population control mechanisms of controlled starvation, ongoing war, divide to conquer um, th- this was a pseudo scientific discussion even in the eighteenth century, which Benjamin Franklin directly took on and refuted in uh, observations concerning the increase of mankind um, and his many other works, including on the necessity for a paper currency and many other things um, so this is something which to this very day contaminates world thinking. Mm. And it is only when you, I think you start appreciating that Canada has been kept under the grips of this thing all the way. And, and, a, and a real moment of inflection. I know you want to talk, talk about is the Lincoln period yep. and Lincoln's murder. Um, but that, that's the thing like Canada itself, one of the, we're, we, we, we are told by our, uh, our, the wannabe elites controlling over us that we are better than Americans because we were always obedient we we never had a rebellion. We never fought for anything, and we knew that just by being patient, good things would be given to us by Her Majesty or and right. and their uh, their courtiers. And the reality is very different. Um, in fact, Canada was always just used as a uh, a wedge between uh, a daint- a potential U.S. Russian alliance, which all the way from the League of Armed Neutrality in the American Revolution, all the way up until Russia's intervening in on behalf of the union against the british and french funded confederacy operations to divide and conquer the usa um canada has always been a geopolitical chess piece in a great game
1: yeah so the first uh, the first uh, volume of this uh, book series is uh, called the unfinished symphony uh tell me the second one is open versus closed systems collide and i thought that yeah. was fascinating and, and again i thought it was just so fascinating how you brought this idea of the deep state back to uh, Abraham Lincoln and, and even further back. Tell us about the, the Lincoln assassination. Cause I know we, we all know the typical story of how it went down. And if you read most popular history books these days, they all tell sort of the same story. But you have a different take on it or at least you provide different context to some of the, the players and their moves. What about the uh, the Lincoln assassination stands out to you?
0: Well, okay, yeah, context is really everything. Um, well, Edwards, Edwin Stanton, um, uh, somebody who was working very closely with Lincoln, I think he was the Minister of War um, in of the United States, uh, had written that the department this department has information that the president's murder was organized in Canada and and approved at Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, I alluded to John Wilkes Booth having been deployed here. Um, in his possession, um, after the murder of Lincoln, was found a banknote from the president of the Bank of Ontario, Henry Starnes, for five hundred dollars, signed directly by Starnes. Mm-hmm. Starnes became a little afterwards the uh, he was rewarded for for uh, good works on behalf of the empire, as, for, and he was made the mayor of Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montreal was known, and there's a book called uh, S- Montreal: City of Secrets going through confederacy operations uh, throughout the entirety of the, the Civil War. So Lincoln wasn't just fighting a, a, a battle with the South, um, who had them, themselves been receiving logistical, monetary, and, and military support by the British Empire. You know, the British were building uh, warships for the the South, the, uh, the Oklahoma being just one of many, or the Alabama, SSMS uh, Alabama being one of many that conducted a lot of destruction, um, you know, on, on the North. But he was also fighting a battle with against the Confederacy in, in the North, in, in British Canada. And there were terrorist uh, deployments, the Albany Raids, uh, dozens and dozens of various terrorist acts throughout the course of the Civil War run from Canada, Halifax, Toronto, and Montreal being the key points. Um, the the fact that you had Lincoln allies rising in influence on the federal and uh, Quebec provincial levels during that period is also no, not unimportant as well, because there was a position... That was being taken by people like Isaac Buchanan, um, a a leader of the at the time Liberal Party, to use the weakness of the British Empire that had overextended itself internationally. You know, they had had, uh, wasted themselves in a very expensive opium war with Britain, uh, with China to destroy China. They had uh, put down the uh, the Indian rebellions at that same time. They had just finished a very expensive war to destroy Russia and the Crimean Wars that they had organized with the French. And you had 10,000 British troops stationed along the Canadian border and, and similar numbers of troops o- along the Mexican border, which had a lot of French influence, ready to attack Lincoln from the south and the north. And the only reason why that didn't happen was because Cassius Clay, who was Lincoln's ambassador in Russia and a, and a close ally with the, the the nationalists of America, was able to organize Tsar Alexander II, the liberator Tsar, right, who had, who had liberated 25 million serfs just a little bit before Lincoln's pro- pro- Emancipation Proclamation. Right. And he had organized Russia to uh, deploy the the Russian Navy to the Atlantic and Pacific coasts of the U.S. as a direct message to the the European imperialists that if they were to go in overtly supporting the South in this war, that it would be Casas belly against Russia. And that was something which was a game changer. Um, The the American allies of Lincoln in Canada had organized very much for an American Zolverine. Basically, the idea was Use the the success of the Frederick List, Otto von Bismarck reforms of Germany, which themselves were ironically uh, modeled on the U.S. examples um, after the revolution. And I hear the music coming on, so I'll have to stop for now.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, we'll have to continue this on the other side of the commercial break because this is utterly fascinating. And when you boil things like the Civil War down to one topic, well, it was about slavery. Boy, are you missing a whole lot of input and uh, really the historical trends that were at play here. Welcome back, folks. This is the American Journal. Remember, you support everything we do here by going to InfowarsStore.com Right now, Bot Ease is on sale, and there's 40% off as an introductory price. The new product, X7 Diet Force. Go buy those now and help us stay on air, help us to continue to make great content and continue to get great guests like my guest this hour, Matthew Arrett. He's a co-founder of the Rising Tide Foundation. That can be found at risingtidefoundation.net. And, of course, we're talking about his recently published book series, The Clash of the Two Americas. And this was another thing that I think was sort of uh, new to me reading this book, this concept of – I guess we know in on the conspiracy side of things, a lot of roads lead back – to london england a lot of roads lead back to the british empire and so much of what the british empire did laid the groundwork for so many of the networks we see here today and uh it seems like that's a running theme throughout your book as well of course as you talk about canada and america the conflict with britain is is the major theme there but it also ties into the civil war and so many other conflicts what is it about the british empire and are we still fighting the same force that we were back then
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. This is I mean, I don't want to be accused of being anti-British because obviously Britain has their own deep state issues as well. Every country does. Um, There's a good and a bad uh, aspect or cultural dynamic at at odds with itself. And even, you know, when you look at Britain, Britain itself was not originally uh, built up around deep state principles. And when I say that, I just mean uh, that's my language I'm just using at the moment to try to get across a system of organization premised around um, the belief in hereditary power—that the legitimacy of your government, of your governance, of your power—is premised around the be- being born into the right family, having the right blood, having the right in the current uh, lexicon genetics. Mm. Um, the uh, you know, Britain itself was at, at certain points around the time of the European uh, Golden Renaissance, it was a hotbed of anti-imperial republican ideas. People like I- Thomas More. Erasmus, uh, were major um, organizers of cultural upshifts that were very good and and premised around the idea of the emancipation of people as a whole. And that movement was very strong all the way up until really the the deep state takeover of Britain itself, which occurred in 1688 under the so-called Glorious Revolution, which in its wake, we saw the setup of things like the the first major... I mean, there were earlier central banks like in Amsterdam or in, in Venice but it had taken on a virulent form with the, the bank of England in 1794. And it was really a, a, a coup d'etat takeover by a Venetian faction within Britain around Lord uh, Marlborough, uh, the great, 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 great grandfather of John, Church, of, of Winston Churchill, um, who had initiated this, this coup that saw a purging of the best elements of Britain. Mm. And, uh, and there was a, a fight, you know, uh, by the the, res- the residues, those who were still fighting, who had still organized, and were part of the Cotton Mather, uh, John Winthrop uh, networks in the United States, who were trying to create a new type of society founded upon the consent of the governed, and the uh, the concept that law and power were things that emanated from the the. Uh, not only the consent, but also the idea that all people are created equal, made in the image of a living creator. And as such, rights are not something given to us or can be, that can be taken away from us by an elite, but are rather there in every baby, rich or poor, or like, regardless of what part of the world or what time frame you're born into. And that concept of an age of reason, you know, we saw that go back to St. Augustine. A lot of these were Augustinian, platonic Augustinian forces, people like Thomas More, Erasmus, uh, Robert Harley, Daniel Defoe in Britain. There were a lot of really good ones. And Daniel Defoe and Robert Harley in the the 1690s were organizing a national land bank to destroy as as a way to break the Bank of England, the the central bank, Mm. and to create an instrument for the real growth of manufacturing industry. They had promoted protective tariffs. Unfortunately, by 1710, when Queen Anne died, these figures were all either killed or put in the Tower of London, and Britain became sort of this Hellfire Club satanic uh, force. By and large, with some exceptions for most of the rest of the the next three hundred years and more to this very day, yeah. and so you know that that context helps understand and appreciate what it was that america tr- was bringing onto the scene of the world for the first time right. and uh, that spread electrically around the world
1: right people people tend to think, and again, this, I guess, this just goes to our uh, American ego, that we sort of came to America and just all of a sudden decided, hey, we're going to believe all these crazy different things than everybody else. But the reality was that Uh, England had gone through a series of these upheavals where they'd almost become a republic for a little while. They got rid of their king and you had Oliver Cromwell and there was talk about becoming a republic and then they went back and then they went forward. I mean, it was, it was a very messy time for a good 200 years there in England just before the American Revolution. Then of course the American Revolution grew out of all of that conflict. So really to just understand the American Revolution, you should at least have a passing understanding of everything that happened uh, in England. But then of course after the American Revolution, you get the French Revolution. What went wrong with the French Revolution? Because boy, <laughs> did it go wrong real hard for a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was just the Bastille Day a few days ago, uh, and French people who have, st- have still not been able to resolve the the the, cr- the tragedy of the French Revolution are still celebrating it like a national holiday, and they don't realize what the hell kind of bloodbath of Jacobin color revolution this thing became as an artificial basket case. And it was it started good, you know, in 1789. It began with uh, the right principles. The Declaration of the Rights of Man was was a wonderful founding document. Still to this day, it stands as a a wonderful testament to human beings' potential and how to self organize. It was modeled on the the best of the American American experience. And in fact, the people who initiated it, people like Jean Jean Sainte Baye, Marquis de Lafayette, were all instrumental in helping the American cause uh, to victory uh, years earlier, right? They were all Benjamin Franklin's uh, colleagues. But the weird thing is, uh, within a very short period of time, all of these great scientists and statesmen who had this brilliant strategic vision all lost their heads.
2: And something happened, something went
0: bad. (laughs) They're like, what the hell? Why would something so good go so sour? And, And it's only when you start looking at British manipulation, especially through the British Foreign Office, and you start seeing that people like Robespierre, Danton, Marat, all had uh, a deep-seated enmeshment with British intelligence, and were basically turning a un- ed- undereducated mob who didn't have the the civilizing. I mean, America was known as the the, the land of the educated Latin farmer, right? They, every most Americans were able to to read the Bible in Latin, they could read Greek, the classics, and so they had a higher cognitive power in the colonies, largely due to the work of Ben Franklin since the 1730s and people like Cotton Mather earlier to create a, an upshifted cultural climate. In France, you didn't have that. It was still a, a feudal system. So people were more easily weaponized. When you have a dumbed down people who have been abused, they're easily uh, weaponizable as a mob that could then be used as a battering ran. Uh, as we see in, in all color revolutions of the 20th century, from the Bolsheviks to the present uh, messes being created for regime change. Right, right. Under democracy movements. Same thing. And it all found its precedent in the French revolutionary experience so i i mean chapter 2 goes through or chapter 3 digs through what that was all about and how uh, that basically led into the creation of an artificial left uh, versus right complex between the the jacobins versus the girondins the logicians versus the emotional you know uh freedom loving um uh, people but they're of rousseauian uh, character and so this artificial schism then created such a best case where everybody lost their heads Good and bad alike, and you had a vacuum of leadership that would only be filled by you know a proto fascist like a, a Rothschild funded Napoleon character who soon tried to declare himself Emperor of the world
1: right i want to I want to touch on that too because a lot of uh, a lot of us look to the British Empire and see the Nathaniel Rothschild movement after the Battle of Waterloo and the way that he uh, manipulated the market in order to gain a massive share of the uh, English Empire really under you know his own family's control but as you point out, I mean, for a hundred years before that, you had the British Empire doing these sorts of uh, activities all around the world, and you, you can't lay it all on them. It was, it was. He really picked up the reins of something that was in full force uh, already. And you know, I don't think we talk enough as Americans about the French Revolution. I mean, we, you can talk about. Hitler and you can talk about the Bolsheviks and you can see parallels there, but man, the parallels between what's happening now in the French Revolution and the outrage and the desire for bloodshed as people go back and forth, and even the concept of left and right, of course, comes from the French Revolution when you had the conservatives sitting on the right side of, I guess, it was the, was the tennis court or wherever the big building was they were meeting with the the meetings of the of the three estates. You had the conservatives on the right and the liberals on the left, and that dichotomy has continued to this day. So, looking to the French Revolution may be a lot more like looking into the future than we want to admit, Uh, but we can prevent that by learning about it and uh, fighting back against that impulse. More on the other side. Don't go anywhere, folks. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, final segment of the American Journal. I am your host, Harrison Smith. Matthew Arrett is my guest. The Clash of the Two Americas is the book series that he's recently published. You can find just that and so much more on the website risingtidefoundation.net. That's risingtidefoundation.net. dot That is the foundation that uh, Matthew co founded. And boy, gosh, we only have about ten minutes left to talk. So, so uh, what do we focus on here? We mentioned at the um, at the end of the last segment uh, the Rothschilds and the takeover, and a lot of ways of the British market following the defeat at Waterloo. That story was told, I believe, in uh, Endgame and Alex Jones's. Documentary, sort of as as one of the starting points of this global deep state that that we recognize right now, but obviously it started before that, and uh, and and yet this was the continuation of a trend. Can you talk a little bit more about the role of the French Revolution in our modern world and, and how we got to where we are now?
0: Yeah, it was a um, it's it, it served as the blueprint uh, of how to artificially weaponize uh, a mob and use it for geopolitical purposes to overturn um, the structures of a state on behalf of an oligarchy. After the the French Revolution, I mean, there had been disastrous examples of this sort of thing being used, but not in such a a concretized form before uh, 1790. Throughout the 19th century, we had seen people like Lord Palmerston, his networks like Giuseppe Mazzini, who both operated through different uh, Freemasonic networks of Europe, um, who had innovated a certain way of doing this in a more refined fashion with the Young Europe Movement, hmm. um, you know, young young France, young Germany, young Russia, young, young every country had their own young movement. And basically what this was, under the control of these uh, intelligence uh, op- operatives, was uh, taking disenchanted, abused young people who didn't have a lot of sense of hope for the future and a lot of rage over an unjust system and basically... Turn them into radicalized mobs with utopian ideas about collectivization of uh, or getting rid of ownership was a big theme that tends to crop up a lot. That that the idea of ownership itself is the problem. The idea of the the you know general general concepts of morality were were anathema to personal freedom, and um, and so the, this this became a force of chaos and of geopolitical just undermining of different nations who had it various times across europe tried to use the powers of the sovereign nation state to you know protect the people and usher in things that were done in the united states like protectionism large scale infrastructure development rail development people like uh uh von bismarck was a big uh defender of this system um, in the later part of the 19th century. But this was going on. This was a, a major part of the fight, right? How to stop the danger of a new American Revolution happening in Europe, inside of the USA. This was also a, a danger with Young America factions, both around people like Ralph Waldo, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who was a, a leading figure within this movement, as well as people like uh, on the southern branch of the Young America faction. You had people like Albert Pike, George Saunders, who were both high level people within the Franklin Pierce administration, which was a young. It was really a young America Freemasonic uh, presidency in the 1850s uh, which ushered in the the Civil War. Um, these were people who were very active in the Confederacy. Uh, Albert Pike played a key role in founding things like the KKK, the first sort of intelligence agency run domestic terrorist movement right uh, out of the Knights of the Golden Circle you know and uh, these were all different different tastes and flavors of the same effective thing, which was divide and chaos and just create such anarchy and ungovernability that only um, proto-fascism, you know, tyranny of various forms would come in as a way to clean up the mess. In the case of Napoleon, it was Napoleon. Right. Later on, you know, you had different expressions of this, um, throughout the, the 20th century, especially the Bolshevik Revolution, which I go through in, in book two of the, uh, the series was another expression of this, which was a mixed bag. Um, and this is something we've seen behind CIA Soros-funded color revolutions since the 1980s um, in our modern age. Just create ungovernability and then usher in, you know, a solution which is join NATO. Get on board with the, uh, you know, World Trade Organization technocracy, and, and then you'll have order again. And, of course, that never works.
1: No, it's it's amazing the way that these same plans get rolled out over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, folks, I mean, you can read – a hundred history books about something like the French Revolution or the the American Revolution, and get generally the slightly different versions of the same basic story. But then you you know you read some books like this, like the Clash of the Two Americas, and you see like the undercurrent that nobody else is reporting on, nobody else mentions these little connections to Canada, to England, to uh, to France. I mean. And suddenly you're like, oh, that makes a heck of a lot more sense than the story I was told earlier. I mean, has this been a, a revelatory process for you or did you go in sort of knowing this and you, you did the research to figure out the details or was this you, you went in just as a historian and just started to uncover all of these sort of hidden motives behind the scenes?
0: Well, I, I went in originally, um, I had become uh, involved in the 2006 period uh, with the Canadian branch, a tiny little Canadian office that represented the ideas of Lyndon LaRouche. And uh, some of the, the-, the themes that I encountered in the literature uh, involved, you know, like the statements that the British Empire has taken over the United States, the British Empire is running the world, but I, here I am in Canada. I don't fully understand that. You know, nobody ever, had ever really done the work to see how, does that, how is that true? i mean is right. it true is it wrong so i, I began uh, a multi-year exploration to try to on the one hand disprove it and i couldn't right. <laughs> the more i dug into original source material it was like oh yeah that that's entirely true right um and that sort of just took on a life of its own by zeroing in on these various paradoxes like why was the british north america act uh drafted in the in 1864 that founded uh, modern canada as a as a deep state country you know what it was still the height of the civil war why what was the geopolitical thinking behind in london that drafted that to keep uh, canada locked in to the british great game when it was in danger of falling under the influence of republican forces to either become its own country for once to stand on its own two feet or join lincoln's america which was a very different usa than the one we have today or why did ben franklin found the first newspaper in canada the the montreal gazette or the first post office it was founded by benjamin franklin I'm like, why the? How did that happen? <laughs> right. So I just want to resolve paradoxes, and so in, in doing that, it, it, it sort of a, a, a whole tapestry sort of came into being.
1: No, it's it's utterly fascinating. I, I know, uh, man. I waited I waited too long. To ask this. We only about three minutes left. But modern America, are we still under the the impulse of these same forces? Are we still under the thumb of the British Empire, or what what uh, remains of it? And how oh, do we yeah. how do we get out? If you two minutes, go go ahead. How, how do we get out of it? <laughs>
0: Read my books. Um, <laughs> right, there you no, go.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean, yes, absolutely. It is still uh, the idea that it's an American empire and, and the British empire disappeared after World War II and they gave, up, they gave liberty to their colonies and now it's the American empire who took up the baton. No, that was, that's a giant narrative of mythology that's it's always been a lie. It, the Anglo-American special relationship that was cooked up over the dead body of, of Franklin Roosevelt who uh, had a very different vision of what the post-war world was meant to be who i mean there was never even an autopsy so people say oh yeah he died of natural causes like, you don't know that there was never an autopsy right um and stalin did say that he believed churchill's people uh, poisoned uh roosevelt that's what he said to roosevelt's son oh wow so yeah yeah that's on record um elliot roosevelt uh interviewed stalin on that um so and and people like Henry Wallace was purged. All of the the allies who understood the nature of the Wall Street London support of fascism as the basis of a new world order uh, back in the you know 1930s 40s they were all purged. They were labeled red commies and uh, destroyed. Some died. Some were just annihilated career wise. Um, and the you know the Iron Curtain was brought in under a speech by Churchill to uh, sever the world under a new Manichaean bipolarism, which was really insane. And a lot of the, the Nazis were just incorporated into US British intelligence under Operation Gladio and other things that then became used to justify the growth of new domestic terror operations throughout the nineteen sixties, weather underground, red brigades in Europe, other things to just scare the hell out of the people and push them into increasingly captured nations after the dead bodies of people like you know John F. Kennedy Enrico Enrique Matei, Bobby Ousters of De Gaulle initiated or ensured that the re- the anti-Malthusian resistance was not to be seen and uh, countries increasingly became instruments of this oligarchical power especially since the early 70s and uh and it was only with really with trump that there was a a, i didn't think it was possible that, that nationalists could fight back on a federal level in 2016 um, and we've seen their, and we've seen
1: them. their reaction. I, I don't think they expected it either. And we've seen their reaction, and it has been hysterical. So I think you're, you're exactly right, and uh, it is utterly fascinating. And to me, it gives us a little bit of hope. I think a lot of us maybe on this side are hoping that we just vote for one person, he can undo it. Folks, you read these books, you understand what we're dealing with today. The plans have been laid for centuries. So it's going to take maybe a little while to uh, undo the knot that we find ourselves uh, trying to uh, untangle right here. So absolutely incredible stuff. Again, Matthew Arrett, The Untold History of Canada is his previous book series. His latest book series, recently published, is called The Clash of of the Two Americas. And that's what we've been discussing today. RisingTideFoundation.net. Thank you so much for coming on. Utterly fascinating, sir.
0: Thank you. And also, CanadianPatriot.org is very easy to find the books as well.
1: CanadianPatriot.org. Fantastic stuff, folks. I'm telling you, doesn't matter how many history books you've read about uh, the Foundation of America or anything else, this will give you new perspectives that you've never even considered before. I know because that's what happened to me. Folks, that'll do it for us. Stay tuned. The Alex Jones Show begins in about two minutes. Don't go anywhere.
2: Globalists are doing everything they can to destroy heterosexual relationships, to annihilate the family, to split up marriages. And if you look at the studies, the number one cause of marriages breaking up is the fact that the men cannot satisfy their women in the bedroom. It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. And even if you're like me and... Hardly ever have a problem. I mean, all of us, one point or another, do. That's just the truth. The, the liberals will make fun of that, but everybody knows that's true. But whether you rarely have any issues or have them on a regular basis, Instahart is the number one best selling natural herbal supplement in the world when it comes to mail enhancement because it really works. It also gives you a ton of energy. And you can find it at theironpatriot.com. That just takes you to their website, but then we get some of the credit as a sponsor. So go to theironpatriot.com today, watch their informational videos, read the literature, and then get your InstaHard in the mail today When Seconds Matter. InstaHard. If you're like myself and so many other people on this planet, especially as you get older, you gain weight, even if you eat a lot less. But I gotta tell you, InfoWars is only about bringing you amazing products that really work. So we looked at the supplement market that we fund a lot of our operations with and we said, what are the best selling natural, healthy, anti-fat weight loss products that are out there? We went and looked at the top 10 and they all had the same ingredients in common that is in this product. But with our new product from X7 Diet Force, we got the very best concentrates of these known Natural essences that just do amazing things for your body. And so I've lost almost 40 pounds. I'm still a little bit overweight in the last three months and I've been doing it using diet force and also exercise. Well, now diet force is exclusively available right now at Infowarsstore.com, 40% off. Infowarsstore.com, diet force. You need to take this product. It really works.